afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up? And welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack reporting to you from Los Angeles. And I've got Luke Smith joining me from Chicago. Um, now that the absolute whirlwind that was last week is now over, Notre Dame officially has a new head football coach, and they know where and who they will be playing in the postseason. The Irish went into last Saturday with a chance to make the college football playoff if a few results went their way. And even though they got the first domino to fall when Baylor upset Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship, Kirby Smart let down his team and Notre Dame Nation by getting sunned by Nick Saban and his Alabama Crimson Tide once again. Now, Notre Dame will face the Oklahoma State Cowboys in the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl on New Year's Day. And even if it's not the end game we were hoping for, um, I think we're still pretty damn excited about the opportunity. At least we are. Uh, And we'll get into why here in a bit. But first, Marcus Freeman had his introductory press conference inside the indoor football facility on Monday afternoon. And it was something. Um, Notre Dame went all out in the presentation. Brady Quinn was the MC. The band was playing. They pulled out all the stops. And the phrase winning the press conference is often used whenever a new coach is hired. And, and using that analogy to describe today's events, Marcus Freeman ran up the score with his presser. He was excellent, sincere, and so appreciative of the opportunity. It's almost impossible to think about the vibe around the program last Monday in comparison to what we saw on this Monday afternoon. But that's honestly just the type of week it's been. So, Luke, what have been your impressions of Marcus Freeman, the head coach? It's been pretty interesting to observe from uh, afar. Uh, as for the press conference itself today, I didn't really follow it at all in live time. I felt like I just couldn't justify yet another day of really lackadaisical production of work after what happened last week. But um, just looking <laughs> at Twitter on my walk home from the office and just kind of everything else the last couple of days, I'm struck by a couple of things. First off, the press conference today, Obviously, this doesn't happen very often, but I was just kind of blown away by what Notre Dame set up for a press conference. Like, is that what people do when they introduce head coaches? I don't, I don't really know. Like I said, it doesn't happen that often, but it seemed a little bit um, more extreme than I was than I was expecting. Not, not to say that it was a bad thing, but yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, I think what I'm also struck by is today that seemed apparent as well. How many people are talking about it and? And in a positive light. And it's not just a Notre Dame beat. You have like Scott Van Pelt, Mina Kimes at ESPN, just all people singing Marcus Freeman's phrases. You know, I said this a little bit more harshly last week uh, that I don't want people jumping on this bandwagon, and I still kind of mean that. Like, sorry, you're, you're still toast if you weren't a Notre Dame fan before this. And part of me also thinks that this is just another opportunity for them to throw shade at Brian Kelly and just say, wow, look how better things are now, and just people don't like Brian Kelly. Um, but... Regardless, it is pretty remarkable to see just how, I guess, impactful or um, 
how how people are are taken aback by Marcus Freeman Freeman and how impre- impressive he is. It's it's not just a Notre Dame fan base who, while they might be in a little bit of a honeymoon stage right here, it appears to be having a, a far greater reach than than maybe I would have anticipated. I would push back a little bit on the idea that the national media is coming in to just throw more shade at Brian Kelly. I would say I, I, okay that <laughs> go ahead like some of it. Yeah, but today, talking specifically about Freeman, I think it's just, it's so different than what we've seen lately in college football. And we talked a little bit last time about how, you know, there's some real issues going on in college football. And you look at what's going on at Miami, Florida right now. I mean, that is (laughs) an absolute disaster. It's a bunch of powerful, super wealthy people. I I don't think it's legal. (laughs) <laughs> it, it's probably not. They had poor Manny Diaz. Like, I know he wasn't the greatest coach, but they literally put him in professional prison this week, basically saying, hey, hold tight here. We think we have a better option than you, but we're not really sure yet. So here, just hang on. And then he said as much today in his press release, once the news became official, Miami hires Mario Cristobal, and then they just kick Manny Diaz to the curb. Heather Dinich, another ESPN reporter, tweeted, Marcus Freeman's genuine sincerity and appreciation might be the single most refreshing thing about the state of college football right now. And I think that's true. Um, He seems to be super excited and also just happy to be there, understands the opportunity at hand. And it's not a money grab. Obviously, he's going to make a raise here. But I think he's just happy to be where he is now. And with all the news we've seen lately about coaches bolting, leaving their players in the dust, and then Freeman explicitly referencing both his current and former players, that this is why he does it. I think that's what people are more excited about. And, hey, if if they're on board with that, I have no problem with it. Yeah, that's that's fine. I'm just telling you, I watched SportsCenter on Friday night, and they literally played Brian Kelly saying my family in a southern accent every 45 seconds indiscriminately. It's like, get over it. Like Right, that was L. Duncan. Yeah, I saw that. Yes, last week we saw a lot of praise, but today specifically, like what Van Pelt was saying, what Mina was saying, I think that was all credit to Marcus and had nothing to do with Brian Kelly. Fair enough. Um, I guess, you know, what else I thought was interesting was just kind of some of the news that came out of today that I I guess I had kind of just glossed over what Notre Dame's actual process was because it seemed like somewhat of a foregone conclusion from the jump that he was going to be the head coach, but it appears they actually did have a little bit of a process here. And I'll get into that a little bit. Um, Eric Hansen from the South End Tribune talked, he wrote an article this afternoon, talked about how Freeman acknowledged that Kelly called him Monday night asking if he wanted to come with him to LSU as his defensive coordinator. And his response to him was, well, can I talk to my wife about it? And the sense that I got from this article was that Kelly knew right away what that answer was going to be. Uh, he basically intimated that I can't leave these kids. We got this bowl game coming up. Like I'm in the right place right now. And this is shortly before Jack Swarbrick then gave Marcus Freeman a call Monday night asking if he was interested in the job. And of, and of course he was, uh, but then Swarbrick actually did have a little bit of a, a process, which I thought was interesting. Pat Forty talked about this in his article. Apparently there were eight current head coaches on Notre Dame's initial list, Two declined to participate. One had timing issues, which I presume is Luke Fickle. And two others were eliminated by Notre Dame. Uh, List was quickly whittled down to three head coaches and Freeman. There's also apparently a 45-minute meeting last Tuesday between the team and AD Jack Swarbrick where Kurt Heinisch point blank told Swarbrick, don't mess this up. Uh, So I thought that was interesting as well. But I am kind of intrigued to know just who these eight head coaches were, just who was on this list. Yeah, you know what? Let's uh, let's guess a little bit. I mean, we'll we'll never know if we were right, but let's think about it. The timing guy, we assume that's fickle. Mm-hmm. So that's one. 
Who do you think just declined to participate entirely? Um, I would guess. I don't know. Do you think yeah, they just like a Dabo? I was just gonna say Dabo and Nick Saban. <laughs> like just, just, just to <laughs> ask. I, I don't know. That's 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 what's curious to me. It is, and then I mean, we could speculate. Like I said, we're never gonna actually know for certain who the rest were. But I agree with you. I thought that was interesting, and also it should be expected. Like right, as much as right. everyone wanted Freeman, but it was much, still yeah, a very quick process. All in all, it was. You're right. Um, I think that Swarbrick. He's one of the best in the business at his job. He definitely didn't expect to be in this position uh, last week, but I thought he handled it perfectly, and now Notre Dame has their guy. And something that came up to my mind when I was watching Alabama beat Georgia, you know, whenever they showed Saban, I just started thinking, like, what is it going to be like when he leaves? How how do you replace a legend? It's an impossible task. And even though I'm not saying that, like, Brian Kelly is anywhere near the level of coach Nick Saban is, he doesn't have the ranks to even be in the conversation – He's still the all-time winningest coach. So how many times has a team lost their winningest coach and the fans were actually more excited about the replacement? I I can't think of one, but Um, it's just such an an insane dynamic that we have here. You know what? I think people were pretty excited about Ryan Day, and I think people had kind of grown tired of Urban Meyer in Columbus, to be honest with you. I would say people in that that building for sure, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure the coaches who had to deal with Urban Meyer on a day-to-day basis and how intense he is all the time and how the, the the demand that he puts on his coaches and how little time they can spend with their family or doing anything outside of football because that's how intense he is. But, hey, it's obviously worked for him at the college level, not so much in the NFL. But, yeah, that pressure that he put on his assistants, I think the coaches were probably mm-hmm. happy to see him go, but the fans – Losing Urban Meyer was a big deal to them. And I don't know if they – like they might have liked the decision to have Day, but I'm sure they were upset that Meyer was stepping down. Well, that was also right after all that Zach Smith stuff too. So I think that there were – not, not that people in Columbus are the most uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Aware um, or understanding of like things that are wrong. But um, but some are, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, you know, you, you brought up who's going to replace Saban. And you're right. I don't know what that's going to be like, but God damn it, it better be soon because I had to watch that second half of that game with <laughs> Alabama fans, and they are absolutely insufferable. They just don't get it. They don't get it. And it's a, especially now because so much of their alumni base now is Midwestern base or like East Coast base. And just kids that have no ties to Alabama, but they got a ton of money to go down there. And that pisses me off to, to no end. <laughs> so, anyways, just need a little bit of a rant there. Um, I guess what I will say, you, you mentioned how Swarbrick is. Obviously very thorough in, in what he does and, and very good at his job. I also appreciated his transparency today where he said, yeah, I am worried that I'm hiring a first head, first-time first head coach at, at 35 years old, but, I mean, he's going to have all my support. But I, I did appreciate the transparency. He didn't try to say, I have no doubt in the world that this is going to work. He said, I am worried. So, you know, like there is an acknowledgement there. This could go wrong. But it seems like, you know, he's ready to, to own that decision if that is the case. Yeah, and he also acknowledged that he was happy to basically cut off the pipeline between the Notre Dame coaching staff and LSU (laughs) and shutting that down. I couldn't believe he went that far. I I mean, I I am very curious if this stuff ever comes out, just what actually went down here between the two of those guys because clearly for years we heard about how close Kelly and Swarbrick was, and that was clearly not the case at the end, so. Yeah, it might have been the case for the majority of his time mm-hmm. in Notre Dame, but given the subtext, 
between Swarbrick's comments on Monday and also Kelly's comments at his introductory press conference there when he said the word alignment like nine times, suggesting that either him and Swarbrick or him and the Notre Dame administration were not on the same page. He brought up resources a ton too. So yeah, that all leads you to believe that there is some sort of conflict there. I do think we'll probably get more information out later, just given how candid these guys have been to a degree lately. If right. they're already doing this now, I'm sure that as more time passes, if Notre Dame wins a national championship, that we might get all the details because people are going to be excited to talk about it. Another thing I was thinking about is I've never seen the fan base so unified. And we always talk about how Notre Dame fans kind of bicker back and forth. Now it's almost scary to a degree. Like we aren't supposed to be this happy, um, but it's impossible not to be. Freeman gets the place and he's so effective at communicating why Notre Dame is special. Like if you're not a fan of the team, if you're not predisposed to the university and all that, it probably gets annoying hearing us alums and fans rave about the place, but seeing the response from so many people who have heard it all before, but now they're responding to it in a much different way is a testament to Marcus. It's still so insane to me that he's only been at Notre Dame for 11 months, (laughs) but maybe that's what we're seeing here firsthand, why he's such a good recruiter. And it's because he's just not bullshitting. Like when he speaks, he's telling you the truth and how he truly feels. And then he exemplifies it with his actions. And his answer on the Dan Patrick show today sort of summarized that perfectly. It's a great example. Dan asked Marcus if he was rooting against Cincinnati in their game this weekend against Houston, because if they lost, that put Notre Dame in a better position to make the playoff. And Freeman said point blank, no, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, these are guys that I recruited, guys who I love, guys I grow with, and I was rooting for them hard. And again, I think this is just different. It's refreshing to hear from a coach. It's much better than having to listen to Brian Kelly say, I think you guys are a playoff team, but (laughs) ditched him at the same time. Like Freeman being honest and saying, hey, you know, even if it kind of negatively impacts Notre Dame a little bit, like I care too much about these guys. And that's how he feels about them. That's certainly how he feels about this team and future Notre Dame players as well. Without a doubt, it, it is definitely a change of pace and, and a welcome one at that. You mentioned the alignment thing. I, I caught myself saying alignment or are we aligned on this to a client five times the last couple of days? And I was like, I got to find a new word because I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I just can't use that word anymore. I don't think. <laughs> It's hard. I'm never going to use, well, I guess I never was really using the term anyway, but RKGs, traits, traits is going to be removed from my vocabulary. RKGs went away like 10 years ago, I feel like, to be honest with you. Traits didn't. No. (laughs) Okay. All right. I think that's it for Freeman. Now let's move on to the Fiesta Bowl because Notre Dame still has one more game to play this season, and I'm excited about it. Getting into the playoff would have been an incredible story, but this certainly doesn't feel like a consolation prize, which it might have if Kelly was coach. I'm not really sure. And, you know, I know it sucks being the first team out of the playoff, but I think most rational fans realize that Notre Dame's resume this year kind of did them a disservice. And I feel really excited about the fact that Notre Dame just gets to play another top 10 team because the only other time Notre Dame played a team of this caliber this season, they lost and it was ugly. So more than anything, I'm just excited to see that, see some real competition again. How are you feeling about it? You're right. It is interesting. And I think most rational fans also realize that there nothing good can come out of having to root for Iowa. So um, that's that. I mean, that is just an absolutely despicable football program. They should not yeah, be allowed. That was to the play thing I was mad about. <laughs> why are why are people saying never let Iowa back into the Big Ten championship? <laughs> that was atrocious. I I can't 
understand how their fans do it. Like, maybe that's the thing that I was most They're drunk. About that's Saturday. how. They are drunk. That's a good yes. point. Yeah. And they're corn Because they're used to playing those, those 11 a.m. games where they have to get up at 5 a.m. to start drinking for them. Exactly. And then they play a night game. I was thinking during the Georgia game, like, all right, well, you know, Alabama's not going to do it, so now they need Iowa to beat Michigan. And I was just so not excited about that game. And then very early on, I was like, God. Well, they missed a field goal, like, right away, right? Yeah. 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 And their (laughs) offense is just so boring. And the commentators, Joe Clatt and Gus Johnson, they try to keep phrasing it in a nicer way, like, well, you know, Iowa, really really sound in the kicking game. They can punt the ball well. Like, okay, great. Eventually, you're going to have to do something to win. You have to score some points, and it just never happened. And it was just like watching paint dry the whole game. So anyway, Iowa rant. Right. Yeah, I, I don't like him. Anyways, but as for our actual game, um, after watching Oklahoma State play the other day, which, by the way, had a really fun ending, that, that game itself was horrible. Uh, those teams stink. I see no reason this shouldn't be a blowout. Like, I'm half joking, half serious, but Spencer Sanders is ass. He is ass. <laughs> okay. He threw six I'll, interceptions I'll against Baylor in two games. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Spencer Sanders. I know they were missing their running back, okay? Yeah. He's terrible, though. He's your best player in offense. This quarterback is terrible. Yeah, Sanders is terrible. I honestly want to give some credit, though, to uh, Dave Veranda's defense over there at Baylor because those dudes – were flying around the ball. And when they hit, it was violent. Like the amount of just violent hits they had on Oklahoma State goal guys was so impressive. And that number 42, uh, Jerron McVay, mm-hmm. he had the game-saving play late. But before that, he had three massive hits. And I was like, this is just awesome watching Baylor play. So, yeah, the offensive showing was pretty gross through and through. I do think that Baylor's defense is a big reason why. And also Oklahoma State's defense – um, is pretty damn good, too. Jim Knowles is probably going to win the Broyles Award. He's their defensive coordinator. But I don't know if Jalen Warren, their running back, is going to be available for the game against Notre Dame, but also Notre Dame's in a position where some of our guys might not be available either. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of curious about that myself. Um, I would think that, I mean, Kyron said, as of now, I'm playing. Um I don't think Kyle Hamilton's going to play, but I would think that everybody else would play, to be honest with you. Yeah. Kyron was the only one, and Kyron would be a, obviously a huge, huge loss. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really fault him if he did decide to opt out because I've seen him projected in the first or second round. I know he hasn't officially declared, but you and I both presume he's going to. Maybe that's what he's doing. He's just waiting to officially announce that de- decision and then – in that, say whether or not he's going to play in the Fiesta Bowl. But I don't know. It should be a really good game. Are you thinking about going? Uh, I am. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. To be honest, in the past, I've always kind of felt like uh, if it's not the the playoff, it's just not really worth it to go to the postseason. But I've never been in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I've kind of always liked Oklahoma State, or at least found Gundy entertaining. Uh, and so it could be it could be a fun fun trip. I still got to figure that out. But it's actually really funny because – for this year, somebody asked me a trivia question. There's something like six FB or six Power Five teams Notre Dame had never played before, and Oklahoma State was one of them. So we're getting one of them off the list this year. Can you guess some of the others? Um, I'll give you a hint. A couple of them are in the SEC. There's one in the Big yeah, Twelve. Yeah, I was going to say I figured it'd be the SEC because we don't play them that often. Mm-hmm. Um, has Notre Dame ever played Kentucky before? They have not. Okay, so that's one. Um, Ole Miss? Uh, Ole Miss, I don't believe they've played either. Okay, so that's two. 
No, sorry, they have played Ole Miss. Okay, they have. So Kentucky, um, they've obviously played Vanderbilt. I don't know. Do you do you have Manu? Do you know who? I got a couple. Yeah, Mississippi State, ah, Texas Tech, Kansas State, and then I um, think it the was Kansas it, State one is kind of surprising. Actually, there's one other one that that I think is really surprising. Another SEC school. Damn, this is a tough exercise. I feel like they've definitely played Florida. Yes, the Sugar. They've Bowl. definitely played Arkansas. No, they have not played Arkansas either. Actually, that that was the one. Oh, that was that's what they the were one supposed that we to were play. Supposed to play it. That's what I was thinking. But there is one more. I forgot about Arkansas too. Okay, um, Missouri. Nope, they played Mizzou. Um, probably Texas A and M. They have played Texas A and M multiple times in our lifetime. <laughs> I don't remember that. Bob Davey. Uh, Auburn. 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 Yep. Yeah. Auburn. Yep. It's kind of interesting they've never played. Yeah, I guess when we do play SEC schools, it's usually the same one. I actually love that series we played against Tennessee back in the day. I would love to go yeah. to uh Nam yeah. for a Notre Dame Tennessee game. When does Notre Dame play Texas A and M? Twenty twenty four at N A and M. So that's coming up. Yeah, right in time for this absolutely absurd recruiting class they've got coming in to yeah. all be yeah. ready to play. All right, we just yeah. went on a, a crazy tangent there. but So you do think you might go? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it depends on if my family wants to go or not. I'm, I'm kind of worn out on travel, but I'm sure uh, in a couple of days I'll probably feel like I want to go, but I haven't decided Where's yet. Where's that, Phoenix? Yeah, that's before. it's in uh, – I mean, it's in Glendale. As you know, it's kind of a – a bitch because a lot of people stay in Scottsdale and then it's like a 45 minute Uber from there. And it's an 11 AM game. So that'll be kind of rough, but we'll oh, figure Jesus. it out. Yeah. I, I've been to a game there. I was at the, uh, what game was it? It's the Ohio state, Ohio state Clemson. Clemson. Yeah. The right? CFP yeah. semifinal. That stadium is awesome, but you're right. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, okay. I think that's it. We'll obviously dive much deeper into this later on. Um, but for now, the date and game is set. Notre Dame, Oklahoma State Festival, New Year's Day at 11 a.m. local time. Okay, another thing we just sort of have to get to is uh, Brian Kelly is back on his pre-2016 bullshit. <laughs> like, it was a rough week for, for Brian Kelly. Look, we had defended him for years, so it was actually really nice that we didn't have to do that because it was pretty indefensible what he had going on last week. First, he put on a fake accent when he addressed the crowd during an LSU basketball game. It started circulating online the next day, and wow. I know most of you have probably already heard it, but just for good measure, let's run it back one more time. It's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family, and we are so excited to be in the great state of Louisiana, but more importantly, to be with you great fans. There's a rule. On the Bird app. I don't remember who originally tweeted it, but it's spot on. Um, Basically, each day on Twitter, there is one main character. The goal is to never be it. And last Thursday, Brian Kelly was the main character. Yeah, I don't really know what that was. Um, There were some good Fast and the Furious memes made out of it. And I even heard some of his former players making fun of him on Inside the Garage today with the whole family quote. But... I will say it is easy to start talking like the people you live around very quickly, maybe not within 12 hours, but <laughs> I, I will I will give him the benefit of the doubt. I've especially noticed that with people that I've known who lived in Baton Rouge in the past. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Bigger thing for me is how slow it took people to find that, actually. Yeah, it came out a day late. We were sent that like basically 24 hours before it blew up, 
And he almost got away with that, which, which also makes me believe that the LSU folks didn't find it that odd, but whatever. I, I don't know. Um, the more and more I think about this, um, when you consider the fact of how like, like this whole saga now gave this season even another life of its own. And it was already a ridiculous season with should have having lost to Toledo, beating Florida state and overtime, the Virginia tech game that if you think back on some of Kelly's pressers and stuff this year, like maybe this was just like, okay, I finally got my chance to get the hell out of South Bend. Now let's do it. I can't do this again. <laughs> <in> South Bend. <laughs> you know, we defended him for years and I think that for the most part, we were right. The whole Brian Kelly 2.0 era, he changed. And then I think this week he's like, man, I'm, I'm done pretending to be that person. I'm going back to my old ways. Um, we actually mentioned briefly on the last podcast, we both are in agreement. It's, it's probably time to move on. But one thing I wanted to address was we mentioned that Brian Kelly was out recruiting at the same time that the news started to surface about his interest in LSU and their interest in him and sort of the potential of him becoming the coach there. Since that time, um, Irish Sports Daily has posted an article, and other people have come out as well, but that's the one we're going to reference here. And basically the details of what went on and what Brian was doing and how it truly transpired inside the home of Tobias Merriweather, a 2022 football commit for Notre Dame, how it all went down is just indefensible. So we wanted to just shed a little bit more light on that um, because last time we mentioned it real briefly. Yeah, I I mean, it's out there if you want to read it. But basically, yeah, Kelly had three servings of barbecue <laughs> at Mr. Merriweather's house. Uh, talked about how his exit from Cincinnati got, I guess, blown out of proportion by the media during that same visit. Stepped out to take a 15-minute call. I, I don't know what else I want to say here. Oh, uh, the reports came out. Well, they were in the house. The Merriweather saw it immediately after Brian Kelly, Tommy Reese, and Dell Alexander left. Asked Dell Alexander about it, to which Kelly said it was bullshit. And then by the end of like the car ride that Reese and Alexander were in with him, they're like, "Yeah, guys, it looks like I'm going to LSU." Like as if he had no control over it himself. <laughs> yeah. That's the part that's so funny to me. It's like he's looking at these reports like. Well, shit, I, I guess I have to go. <laughs> like, as if he had no say in the decision. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was a rough look for him. But, hey, new era. We won't really have to uh, spend much more time on him and his antics. But before we go, wanted to give a shout-out to one of our loyal listeners, Brendan Hurley. His birthday was last week on November 30th. Um, like I said, big supporter, great friend, beloved by all. So shout-out Hurley Bird on his birthday. Yeah, absolutely. Happy birthday. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. Um, I'm not sure when we'll be back. I feel like more news is going to break, and then we'll be back at it. But we don't have a game to talk about this weekend, so follow us on social media at Sons of Sat Irish, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We'll announce when we'll be posting another episode soon. Until then, take care.